October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and although great strides have been made, the statistics remain the same. According to the American Cancer Society, one in every eight women will hear the words, you have breast cancer. And just this week, we learned of the death of actress, author, singer, health enthusiast, Suzanne Summers. You might remember her from the sitcom Three's Company, where she played bubbly blonde Chrissy Snow. Suzanne died just one day before her 77th birthday, and she was considered a trailblazer in Hollywood because she demanded equal pay way back in the day early in her career. Hi, this is Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success. The woman you are about to meet has spent 25 years on the radio in Boston, first on KISS 108 and then on Magic 106.7, where she is still the co-host of The Morning Show. She's an award-winning journalist, a former columnist, a magazine editor, newspaper reporter, and a PR and marketing pro. We met years ago as fellow broadcasters, and I adored her immediately. She's been a voice in the fight against breast cancer, not only because it is the right thing to do, but because she is a two-time survivor herself. Her name is Sue Tab, and this is her story. Sue, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is a special time for us because we're here in my living room. I know. I can't even tell you how excited I was when you said I could come to your house to do this because <laughs> we're old friends and it just feels so comfortable. So thank you. When I first met you, it was yes. to see if you might consider doing some on-air work at Magic. And you did. And honestly, you were just the perfect fit. But as we got to know one another, I still remember one day you dropped it on me and you said, I've had a breast cancer diagnosis. Take me back to that first diagnosis. Yeah, the first one was back in 2009 and I didn't have any kind of a palpable lump or anything like that. It was just a cluster of calcifications. So at first I wasn't that concerned, but on further analysis, it turned out it was actually what they call DCIS which I've become sort of an expert now in knowing all of these terms that I wish I didn't, but it's ductal carcinoma in situ, meaning that it was not invasive. So all they had to do was a lumpectomy and radiation. So I say all. I mean, it's still traumatic to hear the word cancer, no matter if it's DCIS, stage zero, stage one. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I'm a cancer patient? Like, how can this even be? And for years, and you probably know this, I volunteered my time to a lot of breast cancer charities and organizations and nonprofits. It just was always something that was near and dear to my heart. I had a lot of family members who had been diagnosed. Never did I think it would be me, but here I was. And so I went through that. My kids were little. I they was were, just about to ask, mm, how old were your girls? They were eight and 10, maybe. Wow. And so as much as I was feeling sorry for myself, they helped me because what I finally realized is they're watching they're listening. They're looking at how does mama overcome a challenge or a crisis situation. It's a role model moment, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And so at that point, you realize they're looking at you to say, how do you get over something like this? So I remember them asking me about it and they said, are you going to be okay? And I said, I am. And I was. But it was a turning point in my life where I thought once you have cancer, it becomes part of your history, part of the fabric of your journey. It becomes part of your story then, Part of right? your story. And yeah. so then it was part of my story. And, you know, I got through it, but then. <laughs> yeah, but then, and let's hold on that for just one second. You know, I've had so many women tell me 
that breast cancer changes you yes. from the inside out. How did it do that for you? In the radiation waiting room, I met an elderly gentleman. He must have been in his upper 80s. And he said he was going through a cancer treatment. I think it was his third bout with cancer. And it was one of my first radiation treatments. And I was feeling sorry for myself. And I was sitting in the waiting room sobbing. And he noticed. And he saddled up next to me. And he said, you know, you can do this. You're okay. Now, he didn't even know. He goes, this is my third time. And I'm a lot older than you. He goes, pull up your pants, get in there, put a smile on your face and get through this. You got this, girl. I did not know this man. Turns out the next day I go to work and he's on the front page of the Marblehead Reporter. He's a renowned war hero and a physician from Marblehead. But did you feel like maybe he was sent to you at that very I, moment, the well, universe, right? That's when I realized that cancer does not discriminate because he was just a person to me. I was just a person to him. He didn't know my background. I didn't know his background, right? At that point, we were just two human beings connecting. Yeah. And one of us bucking up the other one saying, you got this. Wow. And that's when I said, this is going to be okay. He's right. It's going to be okay. And then it happened again. And then it happened again. Another recurrence. At this time, during the pandemic, did you get your diagnosis? Yes. Talk yes. to us about that. That was a very, very hard time in my life. It was January of 2021, the height of the pandemic. It was candy when I tell you the first time I went to a mammogram that I didn't feel afraid, 12 years had passed. I thought I was in the clear. So I go and it was the first time, like I said, that I wasn't sweating and panicking. I was like, you know, it's got to be good now. Well, it wasn't. I was diagnosed again. The problem was it was the same breast and they can't radiate the same breast twice. So that meant my only option was a mastectomy. Oh boy. And at that point I said, you know what, if I'm going to do one, I'm going to do both. Not the right decision for everyone, but it was the right decision for me. So you had a double mastectomy by myself. Oh, Sue. By myself. So I literally had to go to all of my doctor's appointments. I'm going to get emotional. My husband sat in the car and listened to everybody on speakerphone because they wouldn't allow him in. So I had to sit by myself through the oncology, the radiology, the breast surgeon, the plastic surgeon, all of them. I had the best team. I had an all-female team, Mass General. I'm telling you, I can't... Talk even... about empowerment, right? Empowerment. I was like, oh my God. My people. They were my people. All <laughs> yeah. women, all strong women, but anyway, yeah, I was alone. And that part was very, very difficult. And on the day of my mastectomy, my husband had to drive me to Salem Hospital and drop me off at the curb. He couldn't even come into the lobby. I had to wake up after the surgery alone. And so part of me was like, okay, you know, that was really hard. But part of me also is like, I'm a hard ass now. I can, I can handle Show me a problem. Show me a problem. I got you. <laughs> you think there's a problem? I win. I've been through everything you can think of. So, you know, that said, I always knew my prognosis was good. I was going to survive. But, you know, having this is a major surgery. It's a major change to your body. It's a major change to your psyche. That's what I was going to ask you yeah. about, too, because I have had women who've had mastectomies tell me that it's almost as if they had to mourn a part of their body. 
Right. Having had children, it's such a feminine piece of you. Correct. Maybe you nursed your babies. Yeah. I've had women tell me they literally just the night before their mastectomy just sat there and had to say goodbye to their breasts. Mm-hmm. And there's a big myth out there that it takes six to eight weeks to recover from a mastectomy. It doesn't take six to eight weeks. There's a whole psychological piece of it. I remember saying to my doctor, I've been going grocery shopping in the next town over because I know everyone in town. And the first thing they say is they put their hand on you and say, are you okay? And as much as I appreciate that they care about me and they're concerned, and of course they want to ask, you end up having to keep telling your story and you just wanted to get an avocado. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm here for an avocado, not a counseling session. And you have to keep telling your story. So there's a whole psychological piece that I don't think is addressed enough that I think we need to do better. What did you learn about getting through that time in your life? And please tell us, what's your prognosis? My prognosis is I ended up being able to do everything in one surgery, an eight-hour surgery, where they were able to save the whole exterior and just do implants. So I was fortunate in that way that I didn't have to have a total reconstruction or a separate surgery for that. I didn't have to have chemotherapy, which was wonderful. So you didn't have metastatic breast cancer? I did not. I Thank did not. God so. Yeah. Mine was early stage. And again, the only reason I had to have such a huge surgery and ended up with the mastectomy is because I had that previous bout and it yeah. was the same breast. Had that not happened, I would have been able to have a lumpectomy again. But that wasn't an option for me. To me, knowledge is power. You have to just take all of the information you have and figure out what works for me. And I had some doctors who said, save a healthy breast and others who didn't. But I'll tell you, my surgeon afterward, because they do pathology on everything. My surgeon afterwards said, you made a good decision. The other breast didn't have cancer, but there was things we were going to have to watch closely. And I said, thank you for sharing that with me because she didn't have to share that, but she wanted to sort of say, you made the right decision. You did okay. So I said, thank you for that. Yeah. I am guessing that during this mastectomy and during your healing process, you came off the air for a while because at that time for your second bout with breast cancer, you were on the air full time at Magic co-host Big Morning Show. Did you come off the air? How did that work? I did. I only came off for a few weeks because I was craving after that normalcy. I wanted to schedule again. I wanted to feel like myself again. And part of my identity is what I do for work. Sure. And you know that. Part of it is that we're public people. And I needed to get back to that. So I think I was only off the air for maybe three weeks. The other decision I had to make is, am I going to share this publicly? I was just going to ask you that. And for a while, I thought, no, no, no. And then I thought, you know what? I have a platform. Our station is female-driven. We target females why wouldn't I share that? If I can get one person who's been putting off that mammogram appointment to go, I've done something wonderful. And it's funny, Candy, because once I shared on the air, I had two women who told me that they had rescheduled and rescheduled appointments. They finally made the appointments, and one of them was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she said it was an early stage. Had I put it off again, I could have been in a much different situation. For that one individual who I caught, who got it early, well worth me putting it out there. Why wouldn't I help whoever I could help? It was a no-brainer for me. 
Let's talk about your love of radio because yes. it is a love. It a is little, a love. A little bit of an addiction that I yes, also have. You do. You got your start on the legendary Kiss 108, working yes. with Maddie in the Morning, a Marconi Award winning personality. Yes. What was that time in your life like? It was so funny because my story, it's so unique. It's not the normal story. Most people are like, did you go to broadcasting school? Were you an intern? I'm like, nope, I just faxed Matt a note saying that I thought I'd be great on the air. Which is true. And you were. A true story. Like he plucked me and said, you have no experience and you have a one in a million shot of getting this job. But you know what? I'm going to bring you and try you out. And it was try you out. Like there were no guarantees. So So again, this was a faxed note a note to the morning show host on the number one station and he just happened to see it and responded well it was 1995 so email wasn't a big thing and I hate to say that because I feel so old but it's true it was 1995 and I faxed the note and I just wrote on the cover page to Matt from Sue so he would be like who the heck is this person who is Sue (laughs) yeah and I said I would be great and I kind of made some references to the show but I had to make sure he wouldn't think I was some stalker fan that I was just an actual listener and I had followed the show for so long and I knew that they needed a female and I just had a sense that I could fit that bill I just needed somebody to take a chance on me and he took a chance on me and I was so scared and so terrible my first few weeks and he finally said be yourself. Because I was thinking to myself, what does he want me to say? What do the listeners want me to say? Where do I fit in? And it was like Billy and Matt were two of the biggest personalities in town. And I was in the nation, in the nation, where do I fit in without overstepping? And then finally, he said, I want you to be you. I hired you because I actually like you. You don't need to be a shtick or some version of yourself. Be your true authentic self. Best advice though I ever got. And it still works to this day. It still works. But one of the things, and I was a fan of yours because even though they were a competitor, I loved listening to Kiss in the Morning and I loved listening to you. And the reason why I loved you was because you were the girl next door (laughs) and you always had something interesting to say and you were fun. You were game for anything. Anything. Yes. Tell us one or two stories about some of the craziest things that ever happened to you on the air. Well, I'll tell you when I was seven or eight months pregnant with my first child with Katie, Matt found out that I was deathly afraid of spiders. And he had somebody from Curious Creatures come in with a tarantula. And he had the tarantula crawl up my arm. And he had an OBGYN monitoring my heart rate and the baby's heart rate while the tarantula crawled up my arm. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, what do I do for a living? I had that out of body experience where I'm like, what is happening? You know, that's got to go in your bio. Willing to have tarantulas climb all over her while pregnant. Oh yeah. But at the top of your game on this great big station, you were just talking about being pregnant. You know, now you got two little girls. You decided that you wanted to stay home. Yeah. And you know, everybody in the business was like, what are you thinking, you crazy woman? How could you leave at the pinnacle and you're on the number one rated show? And I said, because I have two babies at home. And yes, I'm home by noon, but I'm exhausted. And right now, that has to come first. And I realized that life is a journey. And, and I used to think when I was younger that, you know, you just, you worked and you went up and up and up in your career. It's not like that. You know, it ebbs and flows based on right. the situation that you're in. And I needed to be home with my girls for a little bit. You expanded though, in so many ways during that time, that chapter in your life, it was your incredible ability to write 
that started to take center stage. So talk to our listeners a little bit about what you did during those years. I was home for about a year and a half and I was starting to get antsy because I'm not a very good role. No surprise. Yeah, no surprise. So my husband circles this help wanted ad in the newspaper and says, look, they're looking for a reporter in Andover. And I said, you know what? Anyway, I said, okay, well, I went and worked for minimum wage as a general assignment newspaper reporter. And I had gone from interviewing Ben Affleck the year prior to standing at a goat farm in Boxford interviewing this guy who was a winemaker. And I was like, wow, you know, I've come full circle. (laughs) Making minimum wage, by the way, minimum wage. My husband kept saying, think of it as an investment in your career, not as how much money you're making. And he goes, and take the opportunity to pitch a column because you're funny. So that is what I did. So then I got them to agree to give me space to have a weekly humor column. And then that humor column, I ended up winning a New England Press Association award for it. And I was like, wow, it was worth it. They like me. They really (laughs) like me. Yeah. So yeah, so I ended up kind of tapping into these other skills that I had and developing them. So it was not a bad decision. After all, getting up, though, at 3.30 in the morning is no picnic. And I know this, too. But when you and I reconnected, you told me, oh, yeah, I've been doing a lot of work in PR. I got my own column. I'm writing all over the place. But you missed being live on the radio. Mm -hmm. And for those listeners who have never experienced this, and most people don't, it is a thrill that never gets old. No. And when I asked you to come over to Magic, you jumped at the chance and you've been there for the last nine years. The Magic audience is the best. They They become your friends. They support you in every way they can. Can you talk about your experience of being at Magic over these last nine years? Yeah, I mean, it's been amazing. Magic listeners are loyal. They are generous. Um, They care about you. They care in a way that is so unique to the station. It's palpable, but, you know, it is different than writing. Writing, it's a little bit more removed from the reader, right? But when you're live on mic... It is this, like, you're in people's cars. You're a part of their day, a part of their routine, a part of their life. And they end up relying on you for that piece to set the stage for their day. I always like mornings because that's a way that you're setting somebody up for success for the rest of the day. They want to be entertained. They want to laugh because you know The world right now is a stressful place. It is. It's a stressful place. And I think that the magic of radio, particularly in my opinion, is the local piece. Mm -hmm. There's satellite radio. There's all these choices. People get their news from every different direction now. Sure. But the truth of radio is the ability to say something like, wow, what a beautiful day it is. It's going to be 68 and sunny today in Boston. And how about those Red Sox last night? Or how about the Patriots? Or what about the event that you went to the night before about a nonprofit that you're passionate about? It's the local connection that I think makes a difference in radio. I agree 100% because you can immerse yourself. And people in Boston love Boston personalities that were born and bred. You know, they know the difference. And I feel so fortunate because I've been living in Boston for, I don't know, 25 years, 30 years. And it's so great because... We make all of these connections to local landmarks and local events, as you said, and different things that are going on in the world. And people are like, oh, 
they're just like us. They're living the same life as us. And even all the crazy things that happen, like I ironed a shirt this morning and burnt a hole through it. And the listeners were dying laughing, calling me, telling me what I could do to try to save the shirt. It was one of my favorite blouses. Burnt a hole through it. I'm like, okay, which is why I'm in this crazy, it looks like I'm going to a funeral, but I'm in a black shirt and black pants. (laughs) And that's part one of Sue Tab's story. And trust me, she's got more stories to tell. And by the way, Sue looked great in her black shirt and pants. And as you can hear, we had a great time recording this interview. I'll have part two ready for you next week on the story behind her success. This month, we're saluting the Ellie Fund. Find out more about the services they provide to breast cancer survivors and their families at elliefund.org. Their mission, supporting patients, funding care providing hope. And thank you for listening. I'm always on the lookout for the next woman to profile. So if you know someone I should feature on the show, reach out and nominate her today. Just go to my website, candyoterry.com. That's candy with a Y. O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. I'll have a new inspiring story for you next week. And remember, when we lift each other up, we all rise. What's your story? I can't wait to hear it.